Hey everybody, what's going on? J Reels back in full effect here on a Monday, June the 18th in the year of our Lord 2018. It's good to be back on a Monday as I try to get my shows aligned with the start of the week just so everybody could uh, get their week off and running and listen to what's going on the latest and greatest of the world of sports. So for those tuning in for the very first time to the J Reels podcast, welcome aboard. Glad to have you with us here as we bring you all that's going on in the world of the diamond, the gridiron, the ice, hardwood, golf course, tennis court, you name it. And for those who have been here more than once, welcome back. As I deliver on this big, wide sports smorgasbord today and uh, bringing you all that's going on from my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J-Rose podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. So with everything that's happening here in this quiet period, and what I mean by quiet is that the NBA Finals have been long over, four-game sweep by the Golden State Warriors, of course. The Stanley Cup Finals over in five games to the Washington Capitals. Congratulations to them as they win their very first Stanley Cup in their history. And to Alexander Ovechkin, who I was rooting for hard. And you could see the elation, the joy, and even the relief on his face after winning that Stanley Cup in that great Game 5 out in Vegas. So congratulations to him and the Caps fans down in D.C., which I know they're going crazy. One guy in particular, Tony Paduano, who's a, a huge Cap fan. And now he's hoping for a Nationals World Series. Well, let's see if they can win a round in the postseason, which they have yet to do since they've moved down there. And certainly in the last six years, going back to 2012, which they can't even get out of the Divisional Series. But that's for a later date and time. But here, as we kick off the summer in two days, certainly feels like summer in New York. We had a beautiful weekend. Weather-wise, today's supposed to be almost 100 with the heat index, which is music to my ears. About time, considering two weeks ago, I think it was like 60 degrees. Be that as it may, as we approach summer and we get into that period where, despite the fact there's always going to be something happening, I would say maybe for the next six weeks, but as far as games and competition is concerned, you only have baseball that's going to be front and center, leading us into the dog days, Obviously into August where we get to the football season, the exhibition season at that. And then right into September, post-Labor Day, which, let's face it, with summer starting, that could come another six years from now. But as we all know, in a blink of an eye, it'll be 4th of July, then it'll be training camp, exhibition season, and away we go, Labor Day. And then I'll be shedding plenty of tears because then uh, summer will be over, the days will get shorter. But uh, let's not worry about that. Let's uh, get into some sports here as it's uh, been quite a while. You know, trying to get some guests, trying to get a bunch of things going on here on my end, which has been a little bit tricky between schedules and just the timing hasn't been right for a lot of people that I've reached out to over the course of the last two weeks, let alone just the last 10 days, which was the last time I was uh, actually on the air or actually had put out a podcast. But even with this little slow period with games, there's always going to be something going on. And I'm going to start off with the NBA before we get to some baseball and recap the U.S. Open. And also, I have a word on the World Cup, which is going to incite the soccer fan, that's for sure. But I'll get to that a little bit later on. But we'll start off with the NBA because this is what's going to carry us through at least July, maybe into August, depending. But when you look at the landscape of the NBA and you look at player movement and things of that nature... Of course, it all is going to begin and end with LeBron James. And we know that. And I'll get to it in a minute. But it pretty much kicked off just a few days after the finals with Kawhi Leonard. When news broke last week that he's requesting a trade. He wants to leave San Antonio. And that doesn't come as a shock. 
when you look at how everything unfolded there, especially over the last couple of months of the season. He only played, I believe, nine games this year, had that quad that was bothering him throughout the whole campaign. And then you start hearing about all the rumors between the trainers, him getting his own therapy in New York, seeing him at Dodger games in April, not showing up to you know, team facilities or not, you know, showing up on the bench when the team was in the midst of a postseason. So all those things just came to a head and you just knew that it was going to come to this place. But now he has stated that he wants to go to LA and play with the Lakers. How are the Lakers going to manage trying to pull that off, knowing that they have a lot of money under the cap and even more so knowing that they want to get the bigger fish in LeBron James that they'll probably do whatever it takes to move whatever pieces that need to be made a la Luau Deng to try to bring in one, two, maybe even three top players to get the Lakers not only back on the map but back in the championship conversation. And if I'm a GM, and in this case I'm going to say Danny Ainge because you're going to hear rumors about possibly Kawhi going to Boston with all the young assets that they have and the connection that Greg Popovich has with Brad Stevens. If you are Danny Ainge, there is no way on God's green earth, or in this case, on that beautiful parquet floor up in Boston, that I would go near Kawhi Leonard. That's not a knock on him. That's not a knock on him as a player. Because as we all know, when he is healthy, he is a top 10 player in this league. And he has shown that. We all know what he could do on the defensive side. His offensive game has certainly blossomed over the course of the last couple of years. But my thing is that if that quad, which we don't know what the status of it is, is it 100% right now? Is he still going through therapy? Is it the thing where this is going to linger with him for the rest of his career? I don't know. And I'm certainly not going to give up the Jalen Browns of the world, the Jason Tatums of the world, or any future first-round picks. Because remember, they have Sacramento's pick next year, which, although it's number one protected, so if Sacramento wins the lottery, the Celtics will not get that pick. But if it's anything below that, it's a Celtic pick. And we know Sacramento has been in the lottery for the last 15 years, it seems. Going back to their heyday or right after their heyday of Pazer Stojakovic, Vlade Divac, Mike Bibby, etc. Chris Webber. So now you have the situation where the Celtics may be in the mix for a guy like Kawhi Leonard. And although he would be an upgrade, but I am not willing to send any of those young players knowing that this quad could come up at any given point over the course of however long his contract's going to be. And we all know he's a free agent after next year. So even though you bring him in, he's pretty much going to be a rental. And you already compound that with Kyrie Irving, who was going into the last year of his contract. And remember, he has his own physical maladies that he's dealing with, despite listening to the Bill Simmons podcast. Not that I need to give him a plug, but... For Celtic fans out there, basketball fans, he says his knee is fine. He's still about a month away from basketball activities, but I'm sure come training camp he'll be off and running, ready to go. But if you're the Celtics, I certainly wouldn't pursue any trade with Kawhi Leonard. You keep the team as it is, and that goes the same for LeBron James too. I mean, I I think the talk of LeBron coming to Boston is just flat-out ridiculous. I mean, why would they even think about bringing him in considering that they would have to move Kyrie, and that's just too many pieces to move there. So back to Kawhi and the possible Laker 
attraction there. Now, listen, I don't have any inside information by any stretch. You would think that the Lakers are going to do whatever it takes to try to bring him in there. But I would think that they will try to pursue LeBron more just because Kawhi Leonard wants to go to the Lakers doesn't mean he has a no trade or he has the right to choose his team to where he wants to go to and San Antonio is going to oblige. Uh, you could just look back to Kyrie Irving's situation last year where he said he wanted to go, his list of teams were New York, Miami, Minnesota, San Antonio, and where did he end up? So Kawhi, I would think if you're the Lakers, there's no way that I would pursue Kawhi Leonard just yet if you know deep down inside you're going to make the run at LeBron James. And considering his health over the last year, do you really want to put the Brandon Ingrams of the world, Kyle Kuzma's, they don't have a pick this year, so they're going to have to give up a future pick if necessary. And I doubt they're going to put in Alonzo Ball. There's no way that he would be part of that deal. But anyway, they would have to give up their young assets. Are you going to do that to bring a guy to your team who, let's face it, plays the same position as LeBron James? I understand you're going to make it fit. I understand you could put LeBron as your point forward or you know, have Kawhi Leonard play the four, which he'd be undersized, but I'm sure you know defensively as good as he is that he would be able to play that position. But I, I just think that the Lakers... Listen, let him do that. Let him go there. Let him make that trade. And I hope that, you know, they lose 56 games like they did last year, however many games they lost. No, I think they won less than that, but or, you know, lost less than that. But my point is, there's no way that I would break the bank or give up a ton of assets for a guy who we all know is a top 10 player in the NBA, but with the health history and even with everything that's gone on in San Antonio and not knowing what the real story is, if he did that to Pop and that winning culture in San Antonio, why do you think that he wouldn't do it in L.A.? Yeah, of course, I want to go to L.A., the glitz, the glamour, showtime, etc. But it, to me, it just doesn't make any sense if you're a GM, if you're Rob Palinka, to just right away push all your chips to the middle of the table and say, all right, yeah, we'll do whatever it takes to bring Kawhi here and I know he's going to stay here, so on and so forth. No. You got to look at some of this history and try to find out the true story as to what's going on. Because out of the 20 some odd years that Greg Popovich has been there, have you ever heard a player grumble, mumble, any type of negative attention that has been brought to that team over the course of his tenure? No. Here's the one guy that it's happened. So it kind of makes you think that, wait a minute, we need to know the real story about what's going on with Kawhi Leonard. I mean, that's how I'd look at it. You know, I could see if there was a history there with other players, whatever. I said, ah, maybe it's just, who know, R.C. Buford. Maybe it's the owner. Maybe it is Pop. Maybe, or whatever it is. Maybe San Antonio is just too boring. No. If he's the one guy, and obviously the only guy, and the most recent guy, that has been the one to light the fire, so to speak, to want to get out of there, or to show that he's had enough of San Antonio, then... Maybe it's not the front office. Maybe it's not the coach. Maybe it's not. It's the player. And I don't know that. And I'm not trying to knock Kawhi Leonard, but there's something to think about in reference to that. That's why I stay away. As far as LeBron is concerned, the interesting thing about this dynamic is he could go in 100 different directions. We all know, yes, L.A. He could team up with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid in Philly. Maybe he can go to Houston and play with Chris Paul, which is something I said back in March. 
But then you hear the recent reports about LeBron not liking the city of Houston, so that probably cancels H-Town out. But LeBron, I think it would be best for him, as much as he's the de facto, pseudo, quote-unquote GM, to just stay put in Cleveland. I understand he may be looking post-NBA career and knowing that if he were to be in L.A., we know he has a house out in Malibu or Brentwood, whatever it may be, and that he could conduct all of his business and all of his people out there could just set up shop and kind of look ahead to LeBron after the NBA. Now, that's not probably going to be for another five, six years, considering that he's going to want to stick around in hopes of his oldest son, LeBron Jr., to become an NBA player and want to play with him at the age of 38 years old. So five years from now, a lot could happen. If you're the Lakers, and rightfully so, you would just throw the bank at LeBron. But at the same time, if you're LeBron James, is that something that you really want to do is to go out there and, yes, would they be a contender right away? Absolutely, they'd be in the conversation. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to get past the Houston Rockets of the world. Mind you that if they do sign or re-sign Chris Paul, and obviously the Golden State Warriors, you know, why would you even think about going to L.A.? And I understand it just wouldn't be him. It may be Paul George coming along with him. Who knows if Kawhi Leonard's going to be added to the mix. But it's just not going to be LeBron having the whole entire spotlight because, again, he's going to go to a team that's going to be just as bad, if not worse, than the Cavalier team that he dragged into the finals this year. I mean, all right, they're going to be much younger. I get that. But you mean to tell me that Lonzo Ball is going to be ready for primetime? You mean to tell me that if he stays put, Brandon Ingram is going to be ready for primetime? Kyle Kuzma? Down the line? To me, it would only make sense if LeBron wants to, let's say, I don't want to say chase titles, but you know, let's call it as we see it. He would just set up shop in Philadelphia. Which I think would be a bad idea if you're Philly because, right, who would pass up on bringing LeBron James to your organization? But to have him in the mix where you know Ben Simmons is your future. And in order for him to be effective, he needs to handle the ball. Now, granted, LeBron will probably defer, but LeBron is LeBron. There's going to be times in a game, times in a season where he's just going to take over. He's just going to demand the ball and unless Ben Simmons right now is in the gym shooting mid-range jumpers or trying to wake up a three-point shot that he does not have, there is just no way, shape, or form that he's going to be an effective basketball player on the floor if he doesn't have the ball in his hands. And if LeBron is going to become a sixer, there's going to be a problem there. And Ben Simmons can talk about all he wants. Hey, it's LeBron. I don't care. We could win a championship. His growth as a basketball player is going to get stunted if LeBron is on that team. Again, does it make it the perfect fit in a sense where there's a team that needs to have that one piece in order to push themselves to the next level, to a conference final, maybe to an NBA final? Absolutely. But is that going to benefit Ben Simmons and his maturation as a player? I don't think so. My prediction is I'm sure LeBron... As much as he probably wants to leave and is sick of the owner, we all know the whole stories with Dan Gilbert. Why would he want to leave Cleveland? 
Right. We understand he has an old roster. We get that there's a couple of young players that they could probably work around. You know, the Larry Nance Juniors of the world, the Jordan Clarksons. Right. But how much are they going to improve from this year to next as players that could be that could be a bona fide championship caliber team? LeBron doesn't know that. LeBron, I'm sure, in his heart of hearts, thinks that, all right, yeah, I may have some young legs. I may have some some thoroughbreds, but do they have what it takes between the ears and in their chest to take their games to the next level? I'm going to say he stays in Cleveland. I know I said Houston back in March, but hearing that story kind of makes me think that ah, maybe he's not going to go there. And again, it all depends on Chris Paul and him making do with his contract and setting up shop there for a few years himself. And I will say this, if I'm the Houston Rockets, I would not offer him a max deal. And people who've listened to me in the past, Chris Paul has game, no doubt. Heart of a bulldog, no doubt. But mind you, this is the first year that he actually made it to a conference final. It was a shame that he hurt himself at the end of game five. It was a shame. Because who knows? That team probably would have made it to an NBA final this year. And if you're the Houston Rockets, there is no way that I am paying a 32-year-old aging point guard, despite his regular season track record, $40 million a year for a guy that's starting to break down and has been breaking down, let's face it, is going to hamstring your cap for the next few years with the likes of James Harden, who again is making max money. I wouldn't do it. I just wouldn't. If anything, I would look at the situation where I would say, we'll offer you two years, a one-and-one. We'll max you out. We'll give you $40 million, or we'll give you $80 million. Somewhat of a deal that Kevin Durant got last year in Golden State when he signed, what was that? I think it was a two-year, $52 million deal where he had a player option this coming season. And as far as Katie's concerned, a lot of people and coming from his mouth, that he said that he's going to resign with the Golden State Warriors. We'll see how that unfolds come July 1st. But if you're the Rockets, you have a very tough decision to make because you went far with this guy until he blew out his tire in Game 5 of the Conference Finals. And knowing that you want to get to that promised land, that you want to get over the hump, you almost have no choice but to resign him. But do you resign him for... Whatever it is, four, five years of 200 some odd million? I wouldn't do it. Not me. So you have all these fascinating storylines about the NBA offseason, especially the free agency, who's going to go where, who's going to get traded, etc. The draft, on the other hand, which starts Thursday, or comes Thursday, I should say starts Thursday. I'm thinking from the NFL standpoint where, you know, they have Thursday, Friday, Saturday. But you have the NBA draft at the Barclays Center, And although you have some very interesting players at the top, pretty much from, I'll say, nine down, pretty much with a Knicks pick, it's a crapshoot. I'm sure there are a couple of names that may pop out. You may say, hey, what about this guy? Or what about that guy? You know, the Grayson Allens of the world or, you know, Gary Trent Jr. because obviously his father played in the league. You know, you have some of these players where you just don't know either A, what they are, B, you haven't seen them, and C, is it going to be a valuable pick or even a risk to take a guy at 
15 and say, hey, we're not expecting this guy to be a Hall of Famer, but at the same time, can this guy be a bona fide NBA starter? Because you can't look at all these draft picks unless they're givens. And even then, we, we, we know about givens. I mean, there's never a given in the NBA. But with that being said, how you look at this, the landscape of players that are coming out, you just hope to get a bona fide NBA player. A guy that can contribute, a guy that can hopefully give you a lot of minutes, could score, could rebound, defend, whatever it is. Because a lot of the stock that's taken in come draft night, you know, you hear Jay Bills all the time. All oh, this guy's a 7.3 wingspan and, you know, 35 inch vertical leap. And all that's well and good. But at the same time, you know, if the guy has very limited offensive skills or, you know, couldn't defend a chair or whatever it is, then, you know, these guys are barely going to make rosters, let alone barely get minutes. And I understand, you know, for every guy like Donovan Mitchell or even Kawhi Leonard or, you know, even Draymond Green drafted in the second round. You have a lot of guys that are drafted at the top of the draft and you, you just never hear from them again. Or you wonder, hey, what happened to this guy? You know, the Adam Morrisons of the world, or even, you know, Jimmy Fredette in college. Everybody, oh, he's going to be a great shooter. Hey, he's small, but what? Where is he today? You know, there's a million of these players out there that, you know, you may look at come draft night, and let's say you're the Knicks at nine. And some of these mock drafts have Michael Porter, the kid from Missouri, who a lot of people thought going into the college season last year that he could be a number one, number two pick. But then had to, you know, suffered this back injury and, Certainly hasn't been the player that a lot of people thought he would be at Missouri. And, right, are you going to take a flyer on a guy with a back issue at 6'11", which I think would be great because he's 6'11", but he's one of those guys that is athletic. I'm not trying to compare him to Kevin Durant by any stretch, but he's he's not a 6'11 banger. He's not a guy that's built like a power forward. He's a guy that has some offensive game that could put up some numbers if and when healthy. And the Knicks, we all understand they need a lot of things, but truly what they need is that guy in the wing who could hit a jump shot, who could post you back to the basket, and if you have a little handle, then even better. So that's what we don't know about these draft picks. We don't know about these guys. You know, a lot of people say, oh, DeAndre Ayton, you know, Ayton, he's a guy, center, coming out of Arizona, he's probably going to be drafted by Phoenix. All right, great. And I'm sure, he, he, do we know he's going to be a dominant player? Do we know he's going to be an all-star? Do we know he's going to be a serviceable player? We don't know that. Does the name Anthony Bennett ring a bell? And I'm not trying to compare DeAndre Ayton to Anthony Bennett, but let's face it, people, Michael Oluwakandi, I mean, there's a million of these guys. There's, just, there's a million of them. You know, I know the hot name is Mo Bamba. You know, the kid in Texas and seven foot, big guy, could do it all. All right, well, he's got to prove it. All the footage, all the YouTube clips, all the... Highlights that you can see, yeah, they may be great, sexy. Oh, man, this guy has all the tools, but let's see him put it together. And that's the thing about the, especially more so the NBA draft. I mean, the baseball draft, you never know because you never see these guys. All right, especially the kids coming out of high school. You know, NFL draft, we don't know it's a crapshoot, but you know the guys that are going to be good 
or at least you think are going to be good, and you get to see how they, you know, they're going to pan out. You, of course, you're going to have your bust. You're going to have players that are, you know, underachieve or just never, you know, flourished to that player that a lot of people thought that wow they could have been a multiple Pro Bowl year or an All Pro or whatever it may be. But with the NBA draft, I mean, you just don't know because these guys are just so young. You know, NFL at least they've had reps. At least they've had some competition that they've played in. You know, these one and dones. You know, they think and right. Some of these guys are special talents. We get that, but you just don't know how they're going to pan out on the NBA floor, on a team, etc. And then the Nets too. You know, the Nets are picking to the bottom of the draft, which I know to the, the forty Net fans here in the tri-state area. I know you're going to rejoice after this draft because you get your number one pick next year. So obviously, wherever the ping pong balls may fall. If you're fourth, you get the fourth overall pick. If you happen to be first, then you get the number one overall pick. So you're not flip-flopping with Boston. You haven't sent another pick to the Celtics. The Cavs, who are going to be picking at eight this year, which was, of course, the Celtic pick, but originally the Brooklyn pick. Right, after this year, the nightmare's over. So the Billy King disaster, going back to the summer of 2013, will finally end at about midnight this Thursday night. But they do have a pick being at the bottom of the draft at 29 or bottom of the first round. That was from the Damari Carroll trade with Toronto. You know, you just hope to get something. Anything. And the draft, again, I'm not going to sit here and give you a mock draft or sit here and say, oh yeah, there's going to be a guy that's going to be a sleeper or this guy's stock is falling. Please, I, I could care less. As my brother Justin could tell you, he's all up on this stuff. I mean, he can't get enough of this stuff, especially the summer league. Oh, this guy grabbed 20 rebounds in a summer league game. Oh, man, he went you know 20 and 12 in this game. Uh, listen, uh, that's great. Fantastic. I need to see that in a real game. Because all the summer league games, I don't care what they do. You know, they could average Will Chamberlain 50 points a game. All right, let me see that in January when they're playing a primetime game against Golden State. Or better yet, let me see that after the All-Star break, after the rookie wall, when they're on the road in Cleveland. Of course, with LeBron being there. You get my point, people. So that's your situation with the NBA. Obviously, a lot of people, especially here locally, I know the Knicks fans going to look to see what they're going to get at 9. And then just 10 days after that, the free agent frenzy will... Just be absolutely crazy, which is good because that's what gets us through those days where all you're watching is baseball. Yeah, I know Wimbledon's coming up and you still have a couple of other golf tournaments, the Open and the PGA. That's going to get you through the summer. At the end of the summer, you have the U.S. Open tennis. But the offseason moves, the free agent stuff, the rumors, everything, that's what's going to fuel you through at least the early part of this summer. Because other than that, I mean, you really have nothing. And I'll get to the World Cup in a second. But to just kind of put the bet on the NBA stuff. It's just amazing to think how basketball over the last few years, especially with the offseason stuff, has become that much more riveting and that much more compelling than it has with the football. Because, you know, NFL wants to state themselves as, oh, we're the 12-month sport, you know, all year round. And which they are, but you know what? This year has been, with everything with the Anthem stuff and, you know, the draft came and went, it's been relatively quiet. 
NFL in the last two years hasn't been that. NBA has been more of that the last, I would say, two years. Going back two summers ago with Kevin Durant and that whole situation there. Last year, you know, Kyrie Irving made things interesting in late August. Well, obviously, all the rumors started after the finals. And then next thing you know, it's like, wow, Kyrie wants to leave. Oh, what's going on? Oh, is LeBron has something to do with this? So they had that soap opera unfolding. And then Kyrie gets traded. So that was in late August. And the next thing you know, you turn around and it's mid-September and training camp starts because the NBA season starts two weeks early. And the NBA is going to have that same type of offseason this year for the aforementioned names at the top of this segment. So that's what I'm going to be fascinated by come draft night because you know there's going to be trades and maneuverability at some point. You know, the Lakers are going to try to unload Luau Deng who has two years and I think like $25 million or whatever ridiculous number he has on his contract. So you have that. I'm sure the Knicks are going to try to unload Joakim Noah with his crazy contract. That's the one thing about this NBA offseason, and just like it has been the last couple, it's one of those where you're going to be wondering where a lot of these players are going to go and how this is going to shake down. And it just makes what I do a lot more, it's more fun and easier. Because you're on top of it. You want to know where these players are going. What directions, etc. Alright, before I get to the baseball, uh, well, you know what? I'm going to save the World Cup. I'll save that for the end because there's going to be some controversies surrounding some of my comments. And some of these comments I made in the past on my old program, but this is going to be fun because we are in the year of the World Cup. And yes, I got a big bucket of ice cold water for it. So, uh, you know, I'll get to the baseball. These next couple of bullet points are going to be quick. The NBA was pretty much the focus of this Sports smorgasbord, and uh, rightfully so. But as far as the baseball is concerned, Yankees, I mean, what could you say? The Yankees are rolling. To me, there are three concerns with the Yankees, though, at this point here, again, June 18, 2018. And they go in this order. One is Gary Sanchez. A few weeks ago, I'm looking at Gary Sanchez, and I said to myself, I don't know what it is about this guy. And nobody says he has to look like an NFL linebacker. Nobody says he has to look like Giancarlo Stanton or Aaron Judge, but something about his body makes me think that A, he's not in shape, B, that he's been maybe even lazy, dare I say, because when you look at his performance behind the plate, I mean, it's just getting worse and worse as the days and weeks go by. You know, it seems like half the time he can't stop a pass, you know, a, a wild pitch. Pass balls left and right. We all know about his... Plays at the plate is tags. I mean, it just, you know, half the time he swoops and the ball is in the backstop. And it makes me think that, is he not working on his craft? Obviously, I'm not in that clubhouse. I'm not on the field. I don't watch every Yankee game. But I kind of wonder if his conditioning is right because the guy's batting under 200. And yes, he is in walking. He is a guy that's in scoring position every time he comes to the plate. And he is a dangerous hitter. You can't sleep on that fact. Because we all know at any given moment, he could just unload and watch. I'm probably going to wake up the sleeping giant by me putting this out there in a couple hours. But with all that, if you're a Yankee fan, I'd be concerned about where his head's at and at the same time his conditioning. Because I'm not trying to say that this guy has to look like a Greek god. But, you know, you you just look soft in the middle. And I think with that, Maybe that's affecting his. Is it just affecting me at the plate? 
Or is he carrying too much behind the plate that's affecting his performance in the batter's box? I don't know. But that, to me, that needs to be corralled. And it's interesting because I'm sure if Joe Girardi was still there and we all heard about the rumblings between he and Gary Sanchez is maybe one of the reasons why Joe Girardi isn't here anymore. But give Joe credit. And he was a former catcher, so he knows that if he was here, who knows? Things may be, may be different. I'm sure he certainly wouldn't be batting 198 or whatever it is his batting average is. And I understand he's a dangerous hitter and we get it. But there's something not right with him. And for those guys, oh, that's all right. You know, he'll wake up. He'll snap out of it. All right, well, it's already June 18th. When's he going to snap out of it? After the All-Star break? August 1st? October? At some point, it's got to come around. And you're not seeing any signs of that. So that's number one. Number two are the Red Sox. Because as great as this Yankee run has been, the Red Sox are neck and neck. In fact, they're tied for first, but the Yankees have six games in hand. That's with all the rainouts and the postponements and things of that nature. And today they're going to play, not really a day-night doubleheader, but they're going to make up the suspended game from last month. Remember, it was 3-3 in the sixth inning, so they're going to play that, I believe, in a couple hours at 5 o'clock. And then they'll have the second game of that series, which is supposed to take place then tonight at 7 before the Yankees come back and play the rest of their home schedule, which was three against Seattle. And we know how Seattle's played so far this year. So the Red Sox, you know, you would think with all this this run that this Yankee, the Yankee team has been on, that they would be, you know, three games ahead of the Red Sox, five games, six games, considering that, what, they were 9-9, nine and nine, and since then they've, what, like 36-11? and 11? Whatever their record is. So... The Red Sox are number two, and that's going to be tooth and nail throughout, which puts more emphasis on them winning the division because the last thing the Yankees would want to do is, let's say they'll go 102 and 60, and the Red Sox are 103 and 59, and guess what? The Yankees are going to be hosting a postseason game in all likelihood against either the Mariners or the Astros because you imagine the Mariners winning a division so the Astros have to come to Yankee Stadium. And yeah, the Yankee fan can puff the chest out. Ah, that's all right. We beat him five out of seven this year. No problem. All right, but you're going to face a guy in the one Justin Verlander. And yeah, you could say, oh, we have Luis Severino. All right, and Severino's a stud, no doubt. But now all the pressure's going to be on that kid to win that game, considering what the Yankees will have done if that's the case, where they win 102 games and they could be exit stage right by Justin Verlander, you know, vintage, eight innings, one run, three hit, 14 strikeout performance. And you know with Verlander, you're going to have to drag him off that mound. And even then, he's going to throw 120 pitches easy that night. I don't know if Severino's going to do that. He could, no doubt, but you get what I mean. And speaking of which, Lassie's the pitcher. I know J.A. Happ or J. Happ's name is uh, surfaced up in Toronto as a possible suitor for the Yankees. I know the Mariners also looking for some pitching as well. Uh, you know, all the Jacob DeGrom stuff, I mean, the Yankee fans and even Met fans, they got to put that aside. That's not going to happen. And I'm sure as you saw, Brian Cashman last week said, uh, in reference to Gleyber Torres, that, hey, would he be part of a deal to bring you back as a starting pitcher? He says, hey, I still have to walk around this town. And you know what? He'd be nuts to trade him. I mean, <laughs> uh, uh, please, if that was the case, I would put Gleyber Torres on my back 
swim across the East River into Queens and bring him to Flushing if that's the case, if I knew they could get him. But we know that's not happening. So with the Yankee situation, Bruce is bringing a pitcher in, and I understand they're not going to bring in a top, you know, number one guy. They have a good number one guy. And despite CC Sabathia, who had another very good performance yesterday, although he ended up on the losing end, seven and two-thirds. You know about Tanaka. Domingo Germán, which is a guy that, you know, he's going to be a fifth starter, and Sonny Gray is hot and cold. But I'm sure the Yankees would love to bring in whomever that pitcher may be, a number two or even number three. You slot Germán in the bullpen if you can, and then you take your chances from there. And the Yankees, as we all know, they have a farm system that they could just put two, three, four guys in a package if they want to, depending on the type of pitcher they're going to bring in here. So we'll see. And I understand Jay Happ is the lesser. And it's probably about right because you know that a lot of these guys, you know, whether you look at the Giants in San Francisco, Madison Bumgarner, or, you know, Cole Hamels. I know there's another guy that could probably be plucked from Texas. Probably more so Hamels than Bumgarner, but still. And once the Yankees get that guy, then they'll be set. Because they don't need any other help from, you know, they don't need another bat off the bench. They certainly don't need another reliever. They just need another two or three guy in a rotation, and that's it. Then you leave the team alone. Barring injury, of course. So that's your Yankee take from Jay Reels. As far as the Mets are concerned, there really isn't nothing, anything to talk about. And despite the fact that they won a game, which almost fell out of my chair when I saw the final score, because I know they were losing... 3-1 in the ninth inning. I said, oh, here comes another loss after a win the night before, which was shocking. They scored five runs. That might as well have been 50 if you're the Mets. But here they are, 3-1. It's like, all right, well, another loss before they go to Colorado. And then an hour later, I look, and they won 5-3. I said, what? I almost had to reset the phone to make sure I was seeing what I was seeing correctly. But the Mets pull out a miraculous win in the ninth inning. And I'm not going to get sucked in. I mean, please. There's there's no way. This team is going nowhere. And just like the Yankees, as I gave you those three bullet points, the main bullet point is who are the Mets going to pair off here in the next six weeks? Is Jacob DeGrom going to go? Is Noah Syndergaard going to go? I don't think Syndergaard's going to leave considering he has this injury that's now lingering. And could you get something for him? Absolutely. But you're probably not going to get much considering that last year with the lat issue and then now with the finger. And then DeGrom... And I'm going to be reasonable. If I'm uh, me being a lifelong Met fan, I will definitely listen to offers. I'll listen to what you want to give up, because in a fantasy world, if somebody said to me, "All right, Jerrios, we're going to give you Miguel Andujar, Clint Frazier, and let's say Justice Sheffield, just for grins and giggles," I would really have to consider that trade. Now, again, Torres is not going to be in that deal, so that's why I didn't even bring his name up. But you know what? Andujar, so you got a guy that's going to play third, has a good bat. Clint Frazier, I understand, got some health issues. He may have some attitude issues, but is a guy, another one, with a quick bat and tremendous upside. And then Justice Sheffield, who, of course, they had traded the year prior or two years prior with the Indians in that deal for Andrew Miller. If you're a Met fan, you'd be nuts not to even consider that, let alone take it. So are the Mets going to get that type of deal for DeGrom? Well, I would take the Danny Ainge way if I'm Sandy Alderson 
I would just go start with the moon. And if you get stars, then you're great. If you get the moon and the stars, then better off. But I want to see that type of Sandy. The shrewd Sandy that when they traded Carl, uh, Carlos Beltran back in 2011, when he traded him and he got Zach Wheeler back. And the thing is, the Giants didn't want to trade Zach Wheeler. Now remember, Zach Wheeler was the number four pick overall, I believe it was in 2010. And they didn't want to do that. But Sandy was shrewd and said, well, we'll pay the rest of Beltran's contract, which of course is in the last year. But in doing so, we need to have Zach Wheeler. Guess what? San Francisco said, okay, we get it. There you go. And it was a rental. Now, mind you, Zach Wheeler has shown flashes, although very little. And he certainly hasn't panned out to be that number four overall pick that he was back eight years ago. But if you're Sandy Olison, guess what? That's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to make a trade where you're going to say, hey, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I want. And if you're not going to give it to me, then that's it. The deal's off. So hopefully, if you set that tone now, that come before the All-Star break, even after the All-Star break, if you're the Houston Astros, and I don't know who they have in their farm system, but let's just say for argument's sake, you're going to dangle a guy like Jairus Familia. And we know that the Astros need bullpen help. You, the Astro fan knows you're not going to trust the Ken Giles of the world and the Will Harris's and Chris Devansky, although he's good, but we saw how he performed last postseason. Not to say Jairus Familia is a considerable upgrade over those guys, but at least they've pitched in the, he's pitched in the postseason and he has experience and he's closed games and all that. So if you're Sandy, guess what? I want to get one or two of your top guys for this guy. And I understand the answer may come back and say, what are you, nuts? You know, Familia has been hurt last year and he certainly hasn't been the same pitcher, but you know what? He's been mishandled. He's been mishandled this year by Mickey Calloway. And I don't know if he's going to admit that. Sandy will admit that to whichever GM that's looking to inquire about Jairus Familia, but that has to be said. And the same for the Grom. If you're going to get, you want the Grom, then guess what? You're going to have to give up surplus talent. If not a young, major league ready talent, well, some very soon to be ready major league talent better be coming up the pike for a guy like that. And that's all there is to it. So the Mets again, I'm not going to get sucked in with this two and you know two game winning streak. And I'll close it out with these couple of tidbits before we uh, bid adieu. You had the U.S. Open here in our backyard in Shinnecock, out in Long Island, uh, the second of the major golf tournaments. And I know there was a lot of controversy over the weekend, whether it was with Phil Mickelson uh, on that on the green on the. Uh, putt where it went sailing past the right and then it was about to go down the hill and then he chased it and knocked it back and you know people were in uproar and obviously he took the two-stroke penalty but you know please people I mean if this was a guy that was his first or second year on the tour or some guy that you know that hey well, you know what are you doing you've been here five minutes or is maybe just trying to make a name for himself all right you could see that but Phil Mickelson I mean please right that ball would have went all the way down who knows how far because it was certainly on that angle where it was going to go past the green and into the rough and you know Mickelson obviously he said hey you know he knew it was his wrongdoing he admitted to it and that was it move on case closed I think those are the Phil bashers and I'm not a Phil Mickelson fan so but I think those are the guys that can't stand Phil so when he does something like that oh who is he to do that that's terrible that looks just bad on the sport oh relax 
take it easy. I mean, if he does it again, then you kind of wonder, all right, Phil, you know, chill out. There's no reason for you to, you know, continue to do this if he's uh, at the Open, you know, St. Andrews uh, next month and then the PGA. So uh, you got to ease back on Phil there. And then as far as the course itself, I know Zach Johnson was killing it, you know, talking about how, uh, you know, it was just a disgrace, you know, to to play in these type of conditions. Uh, I'm just trying to see if I can pull up a couple quotes here. Uh, and I didn't watch, and I, I'm I'm into the golf majors. I didn't watch much. It was a beautiful weekend in New York. I mean, how could you sit home and watch this stuff? I mean, I could see it was a cloudy day, or yeah, it wasn't really much going on. But uh, listen, when you have the first beautiful weekend, you know, 85 to 90 degree weather, I'm supposed to sit at home and watch golf tournaments, as uh, you know, with my girlfriend and Toad, you know, looking at that and say, hey, hey, that's fine, you know, we'll sit here. No, that's not going to happen. But I, of course, I did follow it, and. You know, people were killing the course. You know, Zach Johnson said that, you know, they lost the golf course. You know, it just wasn't fair. But if it wasn't fair for him, it wasn't fair for everybody. You know, as evidenced by the final outcome where Brooks Kupka, who, of course, is the winner of the U.S. Open, you know, he won being one stroke over. And it was a furious comeback by Tommy Fleetwood, who shot a record, what, 63 in that final round? But Kepka, hang on, or you hung on, and next thing you know, you know, he's your champ, but at plus one. Yeah, nobody was, you know, two under, five under, seven under, or even Tiger, master-esque of, what was it, 15 under. No, one over. And that's how it was. And Dustin Johnson, who I believe going into the final round was two over. And he ended up being three over for the tournament. So it's interesting to have these type of events in, you know, in our backyard, as I like to say, here in New York. And I know I'm sure the traffic was brutal, you know, trying to head out there. Of course, I wasn't going to head out there. There's no way. I mean, I believe traffic was like three hours just getting out there. So imagine trying to get out there from where I live in the five boroughs to go out to Southampton, New York. No. I don't have any clout, let alone some clout to go in by helicopter or had any connections out there to... You know, maybe catch, you know, part of this tournament. So, obviously, Shinnecock Hills got destroyed. The course brought the players to its knees. Had some complaints. And, as I said before, Brooks Brooks Kepka, who withheld a furious comeback from Tommy Fleetwood there, uh, is your 2018 U.S. Open winner. And then, lastly, with the World Cup... <clears throat> As I clear my throat, because this is going to be interesting. We all know soccer is a universal game. But here in the States, as I've said many times on this program, or maybe not on this podcast, but throughout in my past endeavors, whether it was uh, at WPNT in the Bronx, whether it was Blog Talk Radio, or even doing the uh, Sports Talk 1240 AM out in Long Island, if the World Cup was being played in my backyard, I draw the blinds. I have no interest. I have zero interest in the World Cup. And why? Because, not that I'm a sports snob, not that I'm one of those, oh, you're just one of those Americans and not open up to soccer. Well, part of it is, yes, that is right. But at the same time, it's not a sport that I was drawn to. And mind you, in the 70s, remember the New York Cosmos? For those out there who remember the New York Cosmos? When they had Pele, Giorgio Canalia, uh, who's the other player that they had there was also pretty big who had the long last name, Brickenbacher. I forgot his first name off the top of my head. 
Yes, the New York Cosmos were it. And they played their games in Yankee Stadium. When it was refurbished. And you would think as a young boy growing up in the Bronx, be like, hey, let me find out about this. I know who Pele is. Nah, zero interest. So why am I going to jump on the bandwagon and obviously have no team to root for, even if the U.S. was there and they're not? Which draws the question, is that good for soccer or bad for soccer? And that's one question I haven't really heard, not that I've been looking for soccer news, but with the U.S. soccer team not being there, is that good or bad for soccer in general? And the reason why I ask that is because is it good in the sense where it's good that they're not there because maybe they can retool in the next four years somehow, some way, and try to qualify for the 2022 World Cup? Or is it bad because the representation of U.S. not being on this grand stage, despite the fact that they've never really been a good soccer team, but just knowing the U.S. is not there, it's bad because, hey, they're the U.S. So even if you put out some has-beens or washed up players or whatever that they somehow some way were to qualify and just them being there and even if they get knocked out and well, I don't even know how the rounds work but let's say they just got knocked out and never made it to you know past the the first round of qualifiers but just knowing that they're there it would be good but is it a bad thing I don't know I'm sure that people know a lot more than I and I wish I could find that out but going back to the World Cup I have no rooting interest for players I have no rooting interest for a team nothing now, all of a sudden, well, I'm going to move for uh, Brazil. I'm going to jump on a bandwagon or Spain or one of these other teams that are, you know, the powerhouses of the of the sport. I mean, the good thing is that you've had two major stories coming out of this, that Portugal-Spain game, which you had Ronaldo with the hat trick, uh, obviously was thrilling to pretty much jumpstart. I know Russia played the first game and they won 5-0, which kicked off the whole event. But yeah, the Portugal-Spain game on Friday, and then yesterday was the upset of mexico Beating Germany. So it's good for soccer and it's good for the World Cup that you got to go up to that fast of a start. But besides that, people, I, I have zero interest. People could tell me, hey, it's a World Cup. Hey, I turn this on. Here, here, you know, this, no, sorry. I'd rather do something else. And I understand that may tick off a lot of people. It may say, oh, you're not open to soccer. Oh, come on, J-Real. Listen, I would talk about it. And listen, I gave you Portugal, Spain, and Mexico, Germany. Normally, I wouldn't even talk about it. But am I going to sit here and break down rosters and break down strengths and weaknesses and who's the sleeper team and who's a dark horse and who's the team that's overrated? I couldn't even tell you that. I couldn't. And, you know, I talk about it only because I know it's a world event. I'm not going to be that much of a snob. Soccer, who cares? Oh, the World Cup. No, it's World Cup is enormous. I get that, and I know that. I'm not stupid. But at the same time, I'm not going to sit here and break down strategy and tell you, right, do I know some players? Of course, but am I going to sit down and break every little detail and go through every bracket and say to you, oh, hey, listen, I think this team could upset that one. Oh, I think this is a, a World Cup championship or whatever. I No, sorry. Not going to waste your time. Not going to waste my time. And that's why this will probably be the only time I talk about it. Yeah, maybe in a future podcast, oh, so-and-so won, or if there's a controversy or whatever, I'll talk about it. Absolutely. Because that's what I do. But am I going to sit here and give you extensive World Cup uh, information, news, whatever it may be? No. It's not going to happen. Not here. And it's not because I don't want to. It's because I just don't have the interest, as I said. And I understand I'm in the minority, in the highest minority. I'm sure in the 
probably the one percentile on this planet. And people may look at me, Jerry Rose, you're nuts, man. You don't know what you're missing. Oh, well, hey. All right. You can say that's fine. I'll man up and say, great. I'm not going to knock the sport. I'm not going to. But I will say this. Like I said, if it's in my backyard. Oh, is there a game going on? Oh, well. That's it. What more can I tell you, people? All right. So with all that being said, uh, before we sign off, a couple of quickies. One, please, as I implore everybody to do who listens to this program, or if this is your first time, as I said before, welcome. Subscribe. Please go to Apple Podcasts. I got to say Apple Podcasts now because that's what they are. I I always say iTunes because, you know, when iTunes becomes part of the vernacular of this world that we live in now, you know, you just think iTunes. You're not thinking Apple Podcasts. But please go to Apple Podcasts, go to Google Play, Spreaker, uh, Stitcher, all or wherever you may get your podcasts. And please subscribe. Uh, It's very easy to do from your phone, people. All you got to do is on your iPhones, go to Podcasts. It's an app there. Just touch that. Type in the J Reels podcast, hit subscribe. Now, I understand you may see another podcast. It's going to be either J Reels Final Word or the Final Word with J Reels and JD. That's the old show that I used to do, which is still there. And it's great because you could go back and listen to a lot of the old shows that go back from between 2008 and 2013. But no, I want you to subscribe to the J Reels podcast. You're going to see a caricature, you know, a cartoon caricature of my face with the J Reels podcast underneath that. It's in black and orange, the New York colors. Subscribe to that. Post a review, uh, leave a comment, rating, etc. Because with your help and your participation, all that's going to do is going to expand the audience that's out there in this podcast platform, in this podcast universe. And it's going to attract more guests. Not only that, it will attract more attention to the program. So please, do so. Tell your friends. Tell your aunts, uncles, cousins, brothers, grandfathers, whomever it may be. Enemies. Whoever loves sports, likes sports, is getting into sports, whatever. I greatly appreciate from the bottom of my heart if you could go ahead and spread that word and uh, do just that. Of course, you go to the website at www.jreels.com for any information regarding the show. Uh, And again, as I said in the top, still working on some guests. Uh, I know it's been a little bit tricky, I guess, this day and time to try to get some people on because of their schedules. So trust me, I'm working fast and furious behind the scenes to try to bring you the latest and greatest, not only of just of what I can deliver as far as sports information is concerned and opinions, entertainment, et cetera, but even more so from the likes of the broadcasters, the former or current athlete, the sports writers, bloggers, other podcasters, or whatever it may be, as I'm doing whatever it takes to deliver that to you in a nice, neat digital package as you hear on your phone or on your laptop, tablet, etc. Also check out any of my social media accounts from uh, Instagram, which is J Reels, Twitter, J Reels One, and also the J Reels podcast on Facebook. I have an email address if you want to send a comment, question, be critical, praise, whatever it may be. That's the J Reels podcast at gmail.com. So again, people subscribe to all that. Let everybody know. Feel free to reach out. I sincerely and greatly appreciate it for all of you done. I'll be back maybe before the end of the week with another podcast, but for sure next Monday you'll hear me on the airwaves. We'll recap some of the NF, uh, NBA draft, I'm sure, get into more baseball, trades, rumors, things of that nature, and uh, more than likely a guest, which, again, you can check on the website and any of my social media accounts for that. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. Mm-hmm.